Welcome to Are Your Parents Proud of You, the podcast. I'm LJ Bullen. And I'm Matthew Schufreiter. And today we have the wonderfully talented Keith Buderbaugh with us. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? Hi, gang. Great to see everybody. How's life in New York? What's, you know, what's pandemic life or post-COVID, current COVID like going for you right now? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, you, you picked the wrong time to ask me because I was just up in the Bronx the other night about 11 o'clock at night. And it was pretty horrific. <laughs> really? But it just happens to be the section of town I was in. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, <laughs> the city is great. It's hot. It's humid. It's, it's an ugly time in the city. And we're in the city. Yeah, we're just getting through COVID. We're coming out of it now. And what was really ugly is a lot less ugly now. And the life is coming back, which yeah. is so relieving and so nice to see. And uh, it's it's nice to see things opening up. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed because this new Delta variant obviously could set us back. I hope not. You know, we all have to stay positive. Everybody just has to, you know, hang in there. But the city is great. The city is great. It's a, it's a different city right now, but it's starting to find its own again. That's great. Have you been doing any or starting any projects coming up right now or about the Yeah, I've, I've filmed a couple of things and and the COVID protocol makes it a lot more difficult because you have to, uh, I mean, I got to hand it to, I've got to hand it to SAG and to Equity and all of them who are, who are clamping down and saying, if you're, if you're going to use our artists, you've got to test, you've got to be, make sure everybody's in the clear. So, you know, you're, you're trucking out to Brooklyn, uh, at seven o'clock in the morning to take a COVID test so that you can film yeah. two days later. And, uh, and then one day late, one day before filming, you got to go out and check in and make sure you're still clear and take a, a quick test. Aside from all of that, which is a pain in the butt, production is back up and it's, it's nice to be, to be working again. So, yeah. So I like that's of- more conducive to like TV film stuff than it is for stage theater. Like, well, that ability to sort of have a closed set. Yeah, stage theater is just now coming back. Just now. Yeah. I happened to film two things this this last year, which I was grateful for because no theater was happening. Mm-hmm. And so theater is just now starting to come back, and of course they're requiring. It's different for each show. Uh, some of the shows I hear are making sure that everybody is uh, quarantined for two weeks before they even come in. And then when they do come in, they're 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 making sure they're distanced, wearing masks. And then if everybody's vaccinated, that's a different protocol. So it's 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 all different uh, depending on what production you're doing. The good thing show where we all like that was a requirement was vaccination. Like we have our first rehearsal tomorrow, and one of our requirements is to bring our vaccination card. Right. If you don't have it, it's a no go. It's a no go. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate that because it's, it's keeping, it's keeping the artists safe and, and, and still allowing art to happen, which is, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I was at a callback a couple of days ago and it was my first time being in the theater room in a year and a half. It felt like no time has passed. I mean, besides the mask, which once you went in, you took it off and you did your thing. Once you're in there again, just like old times, right? Really, just like, you know, February, March, the first week of March of 2020, where everything just felt like old times again. So not only, not only that, but everybody is in a different frame of mind and everybody is just happy to be there. Mm-hmm. So so the energy is different. It's not so, okay, what are you going to show me today? You know, it's like, 
let's do this. Let's do a show. (laughs) (laughs) We got to look for that silver lining, right? Yeah, you have to. You have to. You have to stay positive. Where in the city are you? You're a little bit outside or are you in the city? Outside the city, about 20 miles of northwest, just across the river, across the George Washington Bridge, the Hudson River, and then up about 15 minutes north of the city in a little town called Palisades up in Rockland County. So if I want to be in Midtown, if I want to be at a theater uh, in, a, in a no traffic day, I could be there in 30 minutes. That's oh, awesome. The good that's old cool. days. Oh, that's great. The no traffic day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is well, and I bet you were thinking you're pretty smart for being outside of the city when things were actually in like lockdown, lockdown. Yeah. You, got, yeah. you know, I remember when I, and I, space to when, be. I, when I first moved here, it was it was very difficult for me because I was so used to being right in the center of the city and having my thumb on the pulse of things. And I got out here and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go crazy. I thought I was in no man's land. We have deer, raccoons, skunks, and a backyard and a stream and all that. And I was like, oh my God, this is awful. And it took me about three to six months to realize it's great <laughs> because, yeah. because of all that. And I could still be in the city when I need to be. And it's, it's just a commute. That's all it is. So I mean, that, was, that was the one thing a pandemic I looked forward to was the easy commute to work was the best thing in the mall. So I wasn't complaining that it only took 15 minutes as opposed to the 30 to 40. Is it uh, amazing how that works? Yeah. <laughs> so then once everything's slowly coming back, I know, right? Everything's slowly coming back. I'm like, well, it's time to fire up the podcast and uh, the good old music playlist once again. So how is, uh, wait a minute, you guys are mountain time. No, we're central in Chicago. Okay. You're Chicago. Okay. Yeah. How did Chicago fare through all of this? Uh, ah, well. <laughs> It was kind of fits and starts. Um, Our local government sort of played it a little bit fast and loose with when they opened things up and how fast they opened things up. Right. right. So there there was good things and not so great things. And, uh, you know, I feel like for the most part, we're we're pretty much back to quote unquote normal-ish. Yeah. You know, I think people are still being cautious or at least certain groups of people are still being cautious and i feel like right. other groups of people are just kind of going full ham right like you could i can drive past wrigleyville or wrigley fields and i can on a saturday night and i can see a full line for a bar i can't because i would have an anxiety attack oh well, I, I i don't go i don't go in and let me clarify <laughs> no i can't even drive by. no i will like buy it and i'll be like oh okay and now i know now i know which people really hated the lockdown yeah 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 but I, I will also argue that no one was perfect during this. I mean, there was flaw. Everyone had the flaws because this was just brand new for people. It's one of those things where everybody had to just step back, breathe, and and be kind. Be yeah. kind because everybody's got a story. Everybody's got something going on, and mm-hmm. and you you've just got you've just got to embrace embrace it and and help everybody out. We're yeah. all in it together. Yeah. Speaking of together, <laughs> uh, let's talk about young Keith, because you grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, with your family, with the great outdoors. Uh, what were you like as a child? Uh, as, as a child? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, did you have brothers and sisters? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got uh, one older brother and two, two younger twin sisters. 
uh, we're just typical normal family. You know, my, my parents went up to Alaska because they wanted to get away from Western Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. it was before it was a state. It was still a, uh, what I call a territory. Oh, like, wow. Okay. 1956, because it didn't become a state until 19. 19- Technically, I was born in a territory, you know. Born in the territory. <laughs> territory, territory. Territory of Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> Mush on, you Malamutes. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, I love it. So I spent, you know, for the first 10 years of my life, that's that's where we were. And it was it was the great outdoors. It was Anchorage, Alaska it was a city, but we were in the suburbs. And I, you know, you asked me what was it like as a kid? I just a typical kid, like to go outside and play with the moose and, and the bear and the Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, typical typical kid. Kid. yeah. <laughs> don't worry. After this, I'm gonna go play with my rabbit friends right by the garden <laughs> as well. That's where that's our local hangout spot. Yeah. But uh, it was just typical four four children family, all within three years of each other. So my siblings and I were all just around the same age. So we just all skied and skated and had a great time. Had a great time, and uh, it was great. Did you have a lot of kids in your school, or did you mainly like hang out with your brothers and sisters? Or um, if, when I recall, from what I can recall of elementary school, it was it, it was your typical elementary school, but you would get in the bus in the morning go to school and hang out with all your friends and then three o'clock when it got dark <laughs> <laughs> you go back home and you play in the dark until it's time to go to bed you know because of the of the sun situation there in the winter time you you would get to school at nine o'clock and it'd be dark and mm-hmm. then the sun would come up and you do school and at three o'clock the sun goes down and you're driving back home <laughs> so how old were you when you guys moved back to pennsylvania I was 10 when we moved, when we moved back. Okay. So uh, old enough to be like, Ooh, this is, this is different. Yeah. yeah. So moving back to Pennsylvania was a major culture shock for me because it was just a whole different lifestyle. First of all, the summers were longer. I mean, the summers were, uh, the winters were short. Winters were longer. No, the winter days were longer. Yes. And you know what I mean, you come back to normalcy. Um, and it was a different, it was just a different vibe. Uh, you were in, in Western Pennsylvania. I was in a little town of 3000 people and everybody knew each other. And you just went out with your friends and hung out and played in Alaska. It wasn't quite that way. You played with just your neighborhood buddies, two or three <laughs> neighborhood buddies. And that's all you had. Um, but in Pennsylvania, you had a whole school. You had a whole class that you could hang out with that would drive through the town and, you know, cruise around and have just a great time so it was it was a different thing and it, it felt like a major culture shock when I when I came plus it was hot you know, <laughs> I was like oh my god it's 80 degrees and you, we have it was the first time I ever heard thunder because oh. Alaska, you, you never get thunderstorms you just get rain um and you would see these deluge happen and water coming down the street <laughs> I remember at one point we all put on our bathing suits and laid in the gutter because there was water. <laughs> that was the most fascinating thing in the world. <laughs> you invented the water park. Yeah. Neighborhood water park. Right. Okay. Yeah. Your house with the block party. So, so that's what it was like to, you know, to leave Alaska and then come down to the to lower 48. And and then that's that's in a sense really kind of my home because those were my teenage years, and that's that's where you really develop as a as a young. Uh, as a child, I think. 
Were your parents like any artists? I mean, how did you even get involved in it? Um, My mother really embraced the arts and and she she really uh, welcomed it in all of her children. She played the piano. There was one point she wanted to be a concert pianist, but um, she always said her hands were too small. I'm like, no, it's because you didn't practice it. <laughs> but she instilled a love of, of the arts. So my father loved jazz. So, you know, I, I have vivid memories of my, my father taking me to see Stan Kenton uh, when we were in Pennsylvania. My mother would take me to see Van Cliburn at the, at the concert hall in Pittsburgh. We'd go to Pittsburgh. And so my parents were, were very artistic and loved music. And it was in the house all the time all the time. So when it came to playing instruments, go for it, be in the band, be in the choir, enjoy it, embrace it. And uh, Did your siblings play an instrument as well? I know you play the trumpet. Right. I, my, my siblings played a clarinet, my brother played drums, and my other sister, I don't think, because she was a twin, she didn't want to do what her other twin was doing, so she just said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody else sing like you? Uh, they all sang, but I'm the only one that that really uh, took it to the to the other uh, level. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So they're all musical. In fact, my 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 uh, one sister now, the one that didn't want to be a musician and said no to it, is now learning the violin. And and well, go figure. One of the toughest instruments to play. She decides at the age of fifty she's going to learn to play the violin. I love that. Better than ever, man. I love it too, Lindsay. I aspire to be a lifelong learner. Like I feel like when you stop learning, you start dying. That's like a person. Absolutely right. You're mantra of mine. So the last time I was back in my hometown and I saw my sister, I was like, get the bite. And she was too embarrassed. Like, get it out. Please, she, I want to hear you. <laughs> and I did. And she played and we talked a little bit of about theory because she's like, well, what's the C major and minor? Not? So I started explaining <clears throat> some of that to her. And she just just digging it, man. It was great. As I, I was like so proud of her for embracing that tough skill, and she's going for it. Like, I yeah. Love that. Awesome. All right. So how how young were you when you started playing trumpet? Uh, I would have been what in fifth grade. So what is that? Thirteen. Uh, uh, twelve, eleven, twelve. I would think. Yeah, twelve, thirteen. Yeah. Interestingly yeah. enough. Interestingly enough. I um, just got this. He, he was my high school band director. Wow. Oh my gosh. David Stuffed. And he's down at Tacoa Falls, Tacoa Falls, Georgia now. He actually hired me to come down and sing with the symphony orchestra down there a couple of years ago. But this gentleman doesn't realize the impact. Well, he does, because I've told him. Because you know, <laughs> it weren't for him. I would have never become a trumpet player. I probably would have never become a musician. I, I would have never become a musician. And he is the one that inspired me to do that. And I have him to this day to thank for it. So it, that's oh, his, it's still close. His, his 50th wedding anniversary. So I'm thinking about going down and celebrate with him and his wife, June. Oh, well, I think you just decided. Yeah, you just I, I think it on air. Did you know we're actually live right now and he's in the waiting room? Yeah. Yeah. Come on in. Yeah, come on in, my friend. <laughs> What kind of student were you with him? Were you did were you like one of those like teachers' pets? Did it take you a while, or it it it? I worked hard for him. Uh, I worked hard and became first trumpet. But in Myersdale, Pennsylvania, that's not saying much. Not, <laughs> I was I was 
now that I look back on it, I was an awful, terrible trumpet player. Awful. And I didn't practice enough. No kid ever does. I think any kid does. Well, I don't know. There's like, there's like two. But right. other than that, no yeah. kid enough. And, and I remember him getting angry at me sometimes for not putting the time in. And he said, you could be so good if you... But I was like, good enough to become first chair. And I was happy with that. And the rest mm. of the time I was chasing girls you know (laughs) (laughs) i I bet you caught a fair few Uh, no not really (laughs) (laughs) and that's the humble i like in you (laughs) i didn't i was i was i was incredibly shy i was very very shy and i didn't i didn't break out of that i think until my junior and senior year maybe when i when i got into a rock band and became part of a rock band then things started opening up a little did bit. you play rock trumpet i would try to play the trumpet parts for chicago tunes uh-huh okay you know, things like that wherever i could put them in but it was it was awful it was just terrible Were you singing in the band too i was the singer yeah okay okay singer. so my idol my idol was alice cooper oh, oh all right i wanted to be the next alice cooper by the way whom i met just several years ago and correspond with now Oh, that's so great. Yeah, yeah. I loved his performance in the um the Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ Superstar. Wasn't that amazing? Oh, he was right? so awesome. Hello, Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so epic. When I met him the first time, I, I was telling him I was such a fan of his, and I said, I said, I just I just listened to everything you would you would play. And I said, it would just piss my parents off. And he goes, and did you ever tell your parents I was right? I go, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you know what? He is he is one of the most humble, kind, gentle stars, rock major star I've ever met. He's just so kind. He walked onto his tour bus. I'm sitting there waiting for him with a bunch of friends. And he walks in, he goes, I'm such a nerd. I am such a nerd. And I'm like, you're Alice Cooper. Cooper. I personally ascribe to the belief that there is nothing more punk rock than a true nerd. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. What is more counterculture than a nerd? Exactly. Exactly. They like what they like and fuck everybody else. (laughs) And and that's what makes them so incredible. Mm -hmm. So incredible. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. Okay, so high school band led to majoring in music education, yes? Yeah, yeah music education. So I went into a music education as a trumpet major <laughs> and did not get accepted my first year. Really? <laughs> really? Like a gap year. You were, you were European about it. You, you took a gap year. So for all the trumpet players who are listening, they'll, they'll get this. I did the second movement of the Haydn Trumpet Concerto in E-flat, okay? And you all know that's, all you trumpet players, you know, that's the easier movement because that's the slow, melodic, you know, it doesn't go up too high. And uh, for my audition, the, the second movement of the Trumpet Haydn Concerto in E-flat, so I went in and I was so nervous and unprepared that I played it in C. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay, you get you laugh. 
but that's what I did. And it was a disaster. They should have been impressed that you were able to transpose it. (laughs) (laughs) So I played the E flat concerto in C and completed. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was not accepted. They took me into the school, obviously, but they said, you will not be in the music school. We'll let you re-audition next year. And they had a lot of problems with my embouchure, which was which was terrible. Mm-hmm. And they decided, for some reason, they took pity on me and said, "We'll give you trumpet lessons. You can study with the trumpet teacher." And and I worked my I worked my ass off for that first year. I just yeah, that little fire ass. under you, huh? And I got in the second year. I had to re-audition and got in the second year. And then from that point, I was a trumpet major, but I was still a lousy player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I finally got my degree after four years and. Uh, fell into a job where I had student taught and taught high school bands for three years as a high school band director. What made you want to stop after the third year? I burned out. I burned out. I I loved the kids. I had a great time. I was gung-ho, man. I was- I bet they loved you. I bet you were fine. We had a great time. The kids loved me. I loved them. There was no complaints there whatsoever. Mm. And I pushed those kids and they went right for it. They- we won awards. We had a great marching band. We had a great program going. And administration, I still get angry about it, got a couple of complaints from parents that their kids were too busy. The kids were too, it was too much. And if I'd been smart, I, I would have said, yeah, you're right. And and backed off a little bit and just cooled things down a little bit <laughs> But I didn't. I said, kids, if you we were know, what, like 24, 25? Yeah. I was 24. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had seniors who were 18. So what? I had four years on my seniors. I wound, yeah. up, I wound up dating one of them after she graduated, obviously, of course. You know, you, you, you know uh, but that's how close in age we were, which is one of the right. reasons we all clicked. But I was so angry at the couple of parents that that complained I told the kids, if you want to keep competing, if you want to keep doing what we're doing, then your parents who support it have got to call the administration and voice the pros instead of the cons. <laughs> that was a mistake because parents went after the superintendent and he called me into the office a couple of weeks later and he said, don't you ever do that to me again. Sick the parents on me. I'm like, you're hearing nothing but the complaints. You should be hearing the good stuff. Don't, I don't. And he just chewed me out. Just chewed oh, me out. Oh, God. I don't think I've ever met a superintendent that wasn't a bit of an ass. And I most know. of them are more than a bit. <laughs> I know. And after that day, I was like, okay, I see the writing on the wall. This program's only going to go to here, and you're not going to let it go anywhere. And I was, that's when I got an opportunity to either become an Air Force pilot or Navy pilot or go to the University of Miami and I chose University of Miami and went into musical theater. <laughs> I have to know, what kind of teacher are you? Were you like Glenn Holland and Mr. Holland's Opus? Were you J.K. Simmons and Whiplash? Oh, my God. Those are two great characters, aren't they? Right? That's why. You used to be thinking of those. Probably a combination between the two. Probably okay. more like, probably like more like Holland. All right. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons was like, was I too fast? No. Too slow? No. What were you? <laughs> Just to confirm that you didn't do that. That's great. He was brilliant in that, wasn't he? Oh he my was. gosh, yeah. that whole film was... That was just incredible. Um, when I grew up a percussionist, and so there was like a bit of it that just like kind of hit home and like a... 
kind of way. <laughs> I remember this. Ah! You broke out in hives, right? So many paradiddles. <laughs> so many paradiddles. How about a double paradiddle? <laughs> it's a triple paradiddle. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, that was that was many, many years of my youth. Yeah. Oh my God. So when yeah. Did you, when did you just like I mean, you're doing the, the teaching thing and all of that, and, and you're choosing between piloting and voice and musical theater. Like, was there something that sort of like made you want to just kind of do the thing or was it an itch you hadn't scratched? What it was, you know, it, Lindsay, it came about, it came about in a, in a, in a back door kind of way. Hmm. You know, I was, I was teaching and after my third year, I was like, I think I was making $13,000 a year, something like that. And Which in today's money is, no, just kidding. <laughs> And I was, I was fed up. I was like, I got to make more money. So I thought, well, maybe if I go get a master's degree, I can, I can supplement my income by an extra $1,500. You know? <laughs> so at the time I was taking voice lessons with one of my old college profs, professors who was in the area. And I just wanted to take voice lessons. And he suggested to me, he goes, why don't you go down to the University of Miami and get a, a degree in musical theater? And this is how green I was. I said to him, what's musical theater? Huh? Yes. And he, said, he said, he goes, well, musical theater. He goes, you know the sound of music? I go, yeah. He goes, that's musical theater. You know Camelot? Uh, yeah. He goes, that's musical theater. He said, for the university, you'll probably have to sing a song and perform a monologue and do a monologue. And I said, this is 24 years old. I said, what's a monologue? <laughs> <laughs> what's a monologue and so he worked me through it and i think we prepared an indian in the bronx was the monologue i did which i shouldn't have done <laughs> we live and we learn right? right yeah but here's here's the crazy thing remember when i said i didn't get into in, into the music program for trumpet mm-hmm. but they kind of took pity on me and got me in anyway same thing happened with university of miami my audition tape was awful. It mm. was awful. And I later <clears throat> learned from the lady who accepted me, the professor down there who accepted me, God bless her, so I love her. Uh, Carolyn, uh, Carolyn, uh, it's not coming to come to me. Stanford, Carolyn Stanford. There you go. Carolyn Stanford watched my audition tape and realized it wasn't that good, but she saw something that she liked. And so she said, let's accept it. And I went to the University of Miami, totally green, having no idea what musical theater was, and learned. Mm-hmm. And she took me under the wing. She taught me voice, learned more. It just worked out. It, it just came in through the back door and worked out. And singing came easy. It just came easy. And um, I remember when I was a trumpet major, being in vo- voice class, because one of the things you had to take... Uh, in music education was you had to take vocal pedagogy you had to take a voice class yeah we would sit in voice class all 15 20 of us and okay Budermouth, sing sing that line i'd sing that line i go maltana sing that line uh fritchy sing that line and then he'd come at Budermouth, sing that line again and i'd sing it and he said malutin lozic would say you should put down the trumpet put trumpet away and sing I'm like, no i'm not giving up my baby i'm not going to do it but he was right. It just 
came naturally. Trumpet never did. Trumpet, mm. I really work hard at it. Singing, I worked hard at it, but it's it just fell into place. So that's what happened. <laughs> so things click in a year, and then you move out to New York. Yeah. And uh, I know it wasn't too long before you ended up um, doing a couple of shows and then moving into Phantom. But I do want to talk a little bit about like what New York was like when you first moved there and what were some of your first gigs? Um, it was fantastic. Hmm. It was just fantastic. You know, looking back on it, was so naive and so green as we all are when we first go mm -hmm. and I remember I had been working at the, I'd been working at Miami Opera before I left because I was in University of Miami and that was mm -hmm. that's I found work and there was a there was a um, an artist working at Miami Opera who knew I wanted to move to New York and he gave me some advice he goes if you're gonna move to the city New York City he said regardless of what happens embrace the city or it will eat you up and spit you out <laughs> absolutely right that and is really good advice yeah just embrace it hold it close to you and it will take care of you even though it's tough the minute you get bitter and you you, you fight it it will just tear you apart so i went up and i did that and i think of some of the I just said yes to everything. Just said yes to everything. I'll go to that audition. Go to. I'll work at this. I'll wait this table. I'll do. Yes, 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 yes. Can work you give us a, a reference year? What year are we talking here? This would have been 1985. Okay. Mm. 1985. And for two years, I just busted my butt. Took all the classes I could take. Auditioned as much as I could. Didn't have an agent. Just pound on the pavement mm -hmm. and loving it. Just mm -hmm. loving it, waiting tables and just loving the whole, the whole thing. And then finally something hits and you get a job and keep waiting tables. And then you get another job. You keep waiting tables. <laughs> and I remember when I got uh, the off-Broadway show, Mademoiselle Cologne with Tammy Grimes of all people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bless her soul. You know, she was just wonderful. But I was busy doing that show off-Broadway and waiting tables at the same time. And it was getting to be too much. And one of the producers, one of the female producers, Irma Worrell, came up to me at one point and said, we need you full time. We need your full concentration. And I said, I thought I was giving it to you. She goes, you are, but we need all of your energy. And she goes, so we're gonna supplement your salary. Oh, wow. So that you can put the waiting tables away. Hmm. Like, oh my God, thank you. And they supplemented my weekly salary so that I could no longer wait tables and have the energy to put into the show. Another gift that came out of nowhere. Yeah, what a great producer. Right? Yeah, from a producer, from, a, from an independent producer. And I stayed in touch with Irma for years after that. And uh, I've lost track of her and her husband now lately. Uh, it's been a long time, but it's just acts like that people the, the community that that comes together and, and makes it possible um and that of course led to uh, a gig with boston opera 
And then of course, Boston Opera led to Phantom. It all kind of yeah. happened, happened at the same time. Um, I remember how Prince came to see Mademoiselle Colomb and he left notes for everybody. Mm. because It was an incredible cast, an incredible cast. All of them, most of them in Mademoiselle Colomb went on to become Broadway performers. And I remember a lot of my colleagues in that show saying, I got a note from Hal Prince. He sent a note and it came to, and, and he just loved my performance. And I never got one. I never got a note from Hal Prince. I was like, oh, great. I just blew it, you know. And then I got a call to go audition for Phantom. And what I didn't realize at the time was Hal had already cast me. It was just a protocol. Hal had seen me in Mademoiselle Colomb. I'm sure what happened was he said to uh, uh, Ruth, uh, names aren't coming, she's passed away since, but he said to, I'm sure he said to the, the stage management, audition the guy, just audition him. And I went and auditioned and that day, that day they said, would you have a problem swinging the show? And I looked, I said, what's that mean? <laughs> <laughs> And they said, you would, you would be part of the cast and you would be covering many different men's roles. A lot of the men's, all of the men's tracks. I was like, oh, are you hiring? <laughs> you know, <I> like, <laughs> Is that an offer? Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, yes, of course. That's right, Matt. It was like, I, yeah, well, I was trying to be cool. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, they cry from pursuit of happiness. You're like, okay, yep, yep, I'll think it. And they said, they said, okay, tonight we would like you to come see the show. Uh, we've got a, a seat uh, arranged for you so that you can get an idea of what it's about. But yes, we'll put you on contract. And I was like, oh my God. And then that night I went and saw the show for the first time. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to be a part of this. And it was only, th- it was only one month after it had opened, it was still the original cast. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I, I still, to this day, I consider myself part of the original cast. They don't because I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know those guys. No, you don't. Oh my God, I love that. Once again, through the back door. It was, I wasn't part of the original cast, but I kind of was. And, and you know, meeting Sarah Brightman and, and Michael Crawford and, and just becoming part of the family it was a dream come true. Do you remember the first role you went on for? Oh yeah. 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 It was. I was. I was covering uh, Monsieur Monsieur Rayet, the uh, uh, the repetiteur. That was the mm-hmm. first role I went went in for, and I was just nervous. They prepare you so well, and I got through the show, and I I, I got through it, and then the very last scene, that particular track. Um, you had to be one of the guys way up on the portcullis who climbs down. Oh, all the music up. And you're up in the cages looking through the portcullis. And while you're up there waiting, the audience can't see you, but you can see the entire audience. And you have about five minutes just to sit there and wait. And that's when it hit. And I was like, and I, I'm almost in tears now because because it was... It was it was surreal. I looked out through those lights and saw the audience, and I looked beside me, and, and I was like, "Oh my God, I'm actually doing it! I'm in this show on Broadway, my first performance 
okay, time to climb down. And, and then <laughs> slipped away, but I'll never, Lindsay, I'll never forget it. I'll just never forget it. It was, it was one of those moments that it was, it was just terrific. Did your parents see the show? They did. My, my father passed many years before that. So he never, he never even got to see me as a, as a performer. He only knew me as a high school band director. But my mother saw the show many, many times and followed, you know, followed my career and, and, uh, and you know, became my biggest fan, you know, like mothers. I was say, what do you think your dad would think of you doing what you're doing now? I think, I, I think my dad would have been just popping buttons. So proud. <laughs> I, you wonder, you know, and this is what your show is about. This is what the podcast is about. How, how do family embrace this career path you've taken mm -hmm. and I said my father only knew me as a high school band director but I remember when I brought my band down to my hometown to do one of the parades my father was racing up center street that's my son that's my son this is his band here it comes that was so, awesome so yes he was proud of me he was proud of me he never saw me as, a, as an actor singer but he knew me as a musician and and he was, I'm sure he was very, very pleased. And I'm sure he's very proud now too. To, to well, and you being a musician ended up leading to several other Broadway productions that you yeah. were part of. Most notably, I think the first one was Company, yes? Company, yeah. And once again, through the back door that I get, <laughs> oh, you get it as a trumpet player. But it just happened to be, yeah. As you both know, it's all timing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all timing and luck. And of course, you have to have the talent. Well, and the preparation so that you're ready when timing and luck happen. Right. So you're there when the opportunity that you're prepared when the opportunity comes. But if the opportunity doesn't come, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I right. just happened to be where I was with the trumpet with, as a singer when John Doyle started putting these things together and needing musician, singer, actors. And it worked out. That's a crazy story too. How did, how did you get the call? Or was it open and you were like, this is something I can do? Or was it on your first, resume and somebody recommended you? He first, well, he, he, I was submitted through my manager, obviously, Carolyn Anthony. And he, um, she first, the year before, had submitted me for Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. and, uh, went in and played and, and did the whole thing for him and didn't get it didn't get it. Uh, Mark Jacoby got it. And of course it went on and became Broadway and all of that sort of thing. Then a year later, <clears throat> two years later, company came around. And once again, I was submitted and John Doyle called me in for company. So my manager sent me all the sides. I think it was 20 pages of sides. Wow. Three songs and playing the trumpet and three different characters, three, three of the men in the show. I learned all of the scenes, all of the sides, got up, tuned, uh, ready to go, played, went in, went in, played the trumpet, and John, okay, very nice, very nice. Okay, which, which side would you like to read? Uh, whichever one you want. You, you pick. Which one do you feel most comfortable with? Oh. <laughs> it's like my worst nightmare. Right? So I said, all right, I'll do Harry. So we did Harry, and he just sat there, and he goes, Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, thank you. I'm like, oh. the other 15 pages I prepared. 
I was so upset. I was so upset. I immediately went down to Dunkin' Donuts, got this big coffee roll and stuffed this in a coffee. I got on my phone. I called my, man, I called my manager and said, I'm done. I quit. I quit. And she goes, oh, wow. She goes, what happened? I said, I did a great audition. At least I think I did. And they didn't even want to hear the other sides. I played one tune on the trumpet. I read three pages. I, I did three pages of the sides and they just said, thank you. I said, I'm done. I've had it because it had been a dry spell. It's been a dry spell before that. Right. She, goes, on, she goes, hang on a second. I'm getting a phone call. And she came back and she goes, what did you do? She goes, did you piss them off? I go, no, I didn't piss them off. I said, I was, I was a complete gentleman. It all went well. She goes, well, they're on the other line right now. She goes, so you've got to tell me what happened. I said, Carolyn, honestly, it was a good audition. They just didn't ask for all the material. And she goes, well, I don't, I don't know what you did. She goes, but they just made you an offer. I'm like, fuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can swear. You're fine. You're fine. This dies. I was like, fuck you for doing that. She goes, they just, she went, ha, ha, ha. They just offered the role to you. I'm like, oh, why did you do that to me? Wow. So, so that oh. quickly. That quickly. That's insane. You were still in the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she says to me, I guess you don't want to quit. <laughs> oh my gosh talk about That's highs and lows amazing now that is true that is a true story right that's, that's how up and down this crazy business is and and of course i accepted it and was, was thrilled and and it wasn't even on broadway this was for a production out in cincinnati it was just talk of broadway they said this has been done in cincinnati at theater on the on the park and there's a chance it may go to Broadway. And I knew it had a shot, but it was with John. Raul Esparza was attached at this point, yeah? Right, yeah. So it was all of us went to went to Cincinnati and did the show. And it, was, it wasn't until uh, seven weeks into the show that producers started trickling into Cincinnati to see it. And we, we knew it was being thought about. Yeah. And, and then I remember the night that one producer... Uh, uh, came in and saw it and he said we're 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 picking the show up it's going we're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so was that your first um tony appearance oh, oh, oh yes yes because with phantom with phantom we didn't go to the tonys just the just the nominees went to the tonys mm -hmm. so judy, judy k uh sarah brightman the just the nominees went to the tonys the whole cast didn't go but with company, the whole cast was was there. Um, so yeah, that was the that was the the first time I'd been to the Tonys with company. And then the only time actually. <laughs> That's so phenomenal, though. I just I that performance. I I wish so badly that I'd been able to see you in the whole production. Mm -hmm. But that that number and and the being alive. I I think to date. It's like the most moving performance of a musical theater piece I think I've ever seen. Like I'm, oh. I'm obsessed with Rello Esparza simply because of that performance. And then of course I like looked at everything else that he had ever done and I got to see him in Arcadia, but I just oh. like that. Just knocked that out of the ballpark. Passion. Yeah. What was it like working with people who were just giving that amount of energy? It was, 
it was better than Phantom in, in, in certain ways. Phantom was, Phantom was this thing, this, this mega thing to be part of. Company was a beautiful, beautiful gem that sparkled and that had soul in that sense. And it was, it was, you said, what was it like? Everybody in that company just, it was an ensemble show. It was an ensemble piece. It's one of the reasons we were upset at the Tonys that they didn't bring the entire cast on stage mm-hmm. because we are an ensemble, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to spend the money. It was, yeah. it was a financial thing. So they decided to have Raul just go to the piano and do it uh, as he did it, uh, which was fine. It all, all worked out. But an interesting story, and I, I, I don't think Raul would be upset with me sharing this. He was nominated, obviously, mm-hmm. for the tone, and he didn't win it. He lost it to... Uh, absolutely robbed. Sorry, that's my personal opinion. And that actually, I'm not even sorry about it because he was okay. fucking robbed. So it's interesting you should say that because he didn't win, and we all thought he would. Um, but who knows how all that happens and why it happens. It, it, it just happens. So the Tonys are what that Monday night, obviously Tuesday, we have a show. So Raul has to walk into the theater, kind of tail between his, you know, legs and I, I didn't win. And he got to the finale that night. And we, we, we played that show Tuesday night. After the Tonys, I thought that was probably your best performance ever. It was one of the incredible ones, mm. and Raoul did being alive, and he pulled out the stops. He was so raw, mm-hmm. he was so raw from the previous night that it just all came out, just all came out, mm. and he went being alive, and then the, the lights went down. And the crowd went nuts Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't let him leave the stage. He just had to sit there and and hold it. And then he came off the stage and he was like, (laughs) weeping, just weeping. It was so cathartic. He wasn't weeping because he was in character. He was weeping because it all had just overwhelmed him. Yeah. Yeah. The night before. And the show and the hurt. And I remember him talking to Stephen Sondheim. Raoul told me later, he said he told the story to Stephen Sondheim. And Sondheim, well, yeah, get used to it. Happened to me with, and I forget which show it was. Sondheim didn't get any recognition for it. And he goes, yeah, that's that's the way it goes. (laughs) Because I'll never forget it. Never forget it. But that's, that's I, I think that's just the beauty of it all. It's so raw sometimes. And that's, that's the beauty of live theater, which, which you don't get with film and TV so much. And why I, I hope live theater just continues and continues and continues. Well, speaking of raw, I also realize you are also a writer. Uh, <laughs> you wrote this screenplay uh, called Conduit. How did you... Get into writing, first of all. I got into it. Oh. Is it right there? Is <laughs> we this have a script? I love it. That's it. That's the hey! story. It's, it's a story 
it's a story that way back um, I wanted I wanted to tell, and it took me 20 years to do it. But uh, I finally, I just, uh, part of it is you want to write a role for yourself. Right? Yeah. Which is, which is what everybody does when they write a screenplay. But 20 years later, I'm too old for the role that I wanted to do. <laughs> so I want to do the other role now. Um, so it's just a story I wanted to tell. And uh, it's done. It's written. It's, it's so hard to get it read, to get it in the hands of the right people. It's, it's just mm -hmm. a process. And I'm just, I've submitted a Sundance. Uh, I'm waiting to hear from Sundance about it. Uh, I would love to go out to Sundance and workshop it and, and, and tweak it a little bit more and, and do with it what needs to be done. Thank you. Thank you. But it's the story of the, the most cynical girl on the planet Earth who decides to go back in time and sabotage the greatest lie ever perpetrated on mankind. And as far as she's concerned, that lie is religion. So she's going to go back and stop the crucifixion from happening. <laughs> did you follow me? Like, what? <laughs> what? Did what? No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking that that sounds like me. <laughs> and so that's the story. She goes back in time to avenge what she considers is a big lie. It's a lie that kills her, that killed her father. Um, and she's gonna go back and change things. And mm -hmm. I, I, always, I always thought, if you could go back in time, when would you go? Well, some people say, well, I'd go back in time to, to the grassy knoll to see if there was anybody really on a grassy knoll that shot Kennedy. Other people would say, no, I'd go back in time uh, to see what really happened to Jimmy Hoffa. You know, was I go back in time to the 20s so I could be a vaudeville star and there you go. have a lot of drinks and a lot of sex. <laughs> that is exactly what I would do. But I always thought it would be fun to go back to 33 AD and meet this dude named Christ and say, yeah. yo, yo, are you really say you are? And come on, give me the scoop on this. What? You know, come on. You know, and what would unfold? What would happen if you actually were able to do that? Mm. I love it. That's awesome. I think it's great. I want to go to the 1960s and tell people all about John Hamm and how good he is as Don Draper. And that, and they'd be like, who? And like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you've done this wide range of stories, whether it's film, TV, theater, musical, whatever. Period pieces. Period pieces. Comic book yeah, but stuff like, in there. A message, maybe like there's certain messages too. Like, what roles or even uh, shows that you think this is the kind of stuff that I'm into? I'm not sure how to answer that. I, I would, for for me, it's, I'll, I'll, I am, I am, I embrace it all. I, I, I love all the genres. Um. Do I prefer one over the other? Not really, because they all they all offer their own little sparkle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, working on Joker was was wow. You know, standing next to Joaquin Phoenix for five days and watching him do his thing and we do our thing and and then doing a TV series uh, guest stars. It's all different. 
the thing that they all have in common is that they're all artists. They're all incredible people telling stories. And the better they are in terms of talent, mm-hmm. the more humble they usually are too. Mm. That's what I find fascinating. The, some of the most talented people are so humble and so grateful. I just met Michael Emerson uh, from Evil and from Break, uh, from uh, Lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I walked up to him and I said, Michael, I said, I just love your work. And he goes, well, you're too kind. I go, no, I'm not being kind. You're a great artist. He goes, oh, thank you. And he goes, that's just that humility that, and he is, he's an incredible artist. Mm-hmm. Joaquin is an incredible artist. You know, it's there. That's what they all have in common. These these wonderful storytellers, these incredible artists who come together and do their craft. And and if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you get to experience some of their essence. You could do it easier in theater because you're around them every day. Right. Hanging with Cloris Leachman and and uh, some of, some of those people, Pat. Uh, from one day, one day at a time, Pat Harrington. Richmond, oh, what an icon. <laughs> yeah. Pat and I would go out playing golf and you just get to know each other and you realize how beautiful all these human beings are. They're just all so beautiful. And that's what the arts does. It, it, brings, it brings you all together. It brings you all together and you go, for, you go full circle. You go for full circle and... It's, it's a beautiful thing. I, would, I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't, if I had my life to live over again, I'd pick this. After that, I'd be a pilot. I'd, I would do flying. <laughs> well, you kind of get to do both. I mean, you're not a professional pilot, but you are a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, if I relived it all, I'd do it the exact same way. Well, speaking of beautiful, uh, I really want to know your beautiful answers when we do this game called this game? Uh, okay. Hive 2. Yeah. I, I, I got to do the segues, you know? Uh, like I said, two minutes on the clock, random icebreaker questions, no right, no wrong. I'm just, I just, we just want to know your opinion. First thing that comes to mind, right? Yep. First thing that comes into your head. Oh boy, look out. Uh, <laughs> you want to start? Yeah. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Beatles or the Stones? Stones. What did you have for breakfast? Donut. Which would you rather, a stubbed toe or a hit funny bone? Funny bone. Did you suck your thumb as a child? Nope. Uh, tap or ballet? Sucked other things, but not much of my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even with you. Oh my god! What was? Oh, tap or ballet? <laughs> tap or ba- uh, ballet? What shape is on the moon? Let's say it again. What shape is the moon? Circle. Uh, microphones, good or evil? Great. <laughs> uh, is there an eye in the sky? Beats me. <laughs> <laughs> How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? A lot. <laughs> is Al Trebek the greatest game show host of all time? Yes. What is your favorite record? Uh, Alice Cooper's Billion Dollar Babies. Nice. Favorite president? 
Eisenhower for some reason. <laughs> yes or no? Eisenhower. Sandals. Sandals. Uh, are, how much malarkey is a bunch of malarkey? It's a lot of bullshit, man. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best plane? A Cessna 180. Oh, my uncle. Oh, no. Cessna, Cessna 210. Cessna 210. What is your favorite smell? <laughs> Armpit. <laughs> yeah! How we play. Tavern 2. It's a great game. You gotta get, you gotta get all your friends. Really, it's not really, but that's the first thing. You, <laughs> you had less than five seconds, so I was going to take anything you said at this point. Oh, man. the Just like the joie de vivre with which you said armpit. was just Yes, and you're damn proud of it. Uh, well, uh, Keith, we, this has been so much fun, but our last question to you uh, is, are your parents proud of you? I would think, yes, I would think so. They're both deceased now, but yes, I think they're very proud. I would agree. Thank you. Well, we cannot thank you enough for coming on and having this lovely conversation with us. It's been just a peach. I've had so much fun. Me too. Thank you. It's, it's just it's just a joy. And it's great to see you. I haven't seen you in years. And uh, Matt, great to meet you. Great meeting you. It's, it's a wonderful thing you're doing. This podcast is wonderful. My goodness, actor, writer, pilot, father, all around Renaissance man. Keith. He just kind of leaves a mark on your soul, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out where that mark is on my soul. It's, it's somewhere in the, the North Hemisphere. Uh, I liked him. He's just a, a charming man. Like, he's somebody that you would want to go on, like a like a backpacking trick with. I was just going to say, I want to grab my backpack with him and just go hiking yeah. with no end in sight, just to hear the stories. And he's a great, he just likes to listen to what we have to say as well. Plus, we didn't actually make him sing, but he sings so pretty. I bet he would sing so pretty around a fire, oh. like a campfire. Let's just put him in the sound of music. What are we doing here? Let's just, let's go to New York. Well, all right, folks. We've all now right. found a new career path. And we canceled. Good night. <laughs> Just kidding. No, nope. we will be back next week. And we have the wonderful Simon Price, the current Red Wiggle. Yeah, it's going to be a doozy, mate. You remember when we had Anthony Wiggle on when we first started? Now it's Simon's turn. Simon is up to be promoting some new albums that the Wiggles are be creating for infants for during their nap time. So uh, please don't fall asleep. Uh, during this interview, because it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and all those with uh, little kiddos in your lives, yours or others, um, you know, take a lesson. Yeah, rock it by a bear. Uh, speaking of listening, you should listen up because we are going to promote our social media. Oh, accounts. that's right. Yeah, you know, you can follow us on Instagram. I don't know if you knew this before, but our handle is at Parents Proud Podcast. And listen up. As I'm talking, that was mean. I'm so sorry. You can email us at parents. No, not at parents. It's just parents proud podcast at gmail.com. Again, you got your ads backwards. I got my ads backwards. Where's the at in my ads right now? (laughs) All right, folks, we're on a doozy. So we're going to end the show like that. Uh, I'm Matt Schufreiter. I'm LJ Bullen. We'll see you next time. Ciao.